Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Premier League is back. How good was that first weekend? We will give our first impressions on this week's episode of The Gangapod and take you a little bit inside the dressing room about what it's like when there are injuries and transfer speculation at the biggest clubs in the planet. So much to talk about as ever, so let's get started. Yeah, how good was it to have the Premier League back? Full houses across England as well, crowds pumping. No draws. I wonder whether that had any impact with the crowds there. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But Manchester United, top of the pops as a result of that huge win over Leeds. So there's so much to talk about today. David, we're going to with you once again to do so. And our band for 2021-2022 is back. Bridgie, Schwartzy and Tommy Sorensen. Great to see you all. It's only fair if I give the tap-in from the kickoff to the Spurs fan to open us up. Bridgie, how did you enjoy yesterday's action? Absolutely fantastic, Dave. <laughs> the new manager, the full stadium, and the new look Spurs team without Harry Kane up top. We had the man son, and I tell you what, he absolutely delivered, and it was an incredible result. And I think the fans had a lot to play with that as well. I've got to say, it was great to see, and I'm one very, very happy man. Now, our listeners can't see the Zoom call, but I can, and I'm just going to let Shorty keep shaking his head like one of those dogs at the back of a car for a little bit longer. Tell me, what was your highlight of the weekend? So to see if you can keep that going for a little bit longer. I, I, I just had to have a chuckle because when you said uh, the Spurs fan, I'm thinking, Thomas is not a Spurs fan because Bridge is clearly a Leeds United fan. Isn't that not right? He posts stuff. He gets Leeds United jerseys. He's a Leeds United fan. Isn't that right, Bridgie? Or, yeah, Leeds United uh, ambassador for the club, representing them every week. Rich, um, Rich sorry there, Swansea. <laughs> <laughs> See, we mentioned Leeds. I've got to mention Rich Bayless at the same token. Yeah, I've, listen, ambassador work, but you've got to do your duties. But my team is Tottenham Hotspur. You know that. How can you be an ambassador for a club but not support them? Surely you're supporting them as an ambassador. Anyway, oh, I don't even know where to go. Moving on. Where are you, where are you with this? Just on the topic. Oh, I, I think it's ridiculous. Tottenham. Yeah, I no, I, I called him out before the show. I was like, oh, bad result of the weekend. And he was like, what are you talking about? I said, obviously, uh, Man United. I said, no, 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 Tottenham. I'm like, so he's, 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 you know, he's forgotten all about Leeds. Now they're sec- the second rank now. Oh, I can't wait till all three of his teams lose. Honestly, Newcastle, Leeds and Tottenham at once. He's just it must, be, gr- it must be great to have three teams, though. It must be great. Oh, oh Here we go. Here we go. Bring it on. Come on. Round two, Bridgie, that just buried you. Did you anything you enjoyed over the weekend, Tom, or was it just seeing all Bridges' teams lose? <laughs> no, I thought it was, first of all, fantastic to have the fans back. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch uh, on it. Uh, great to see Brentford, uh, the first game of the season, and just see the atmosphere there and, and uh, the spirit they showed. Um, 
individual highlight, um, you know, I've, I've been hard on this guy, but, but I must say Pogba was absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, he, he's a player that, you know, I tend to love and hate, but uh, against Leeds, uh, you know, with the assists and uh, I thought he was top, top class. And, and if he can produce, you know, if he can get a good season out of Pogba, um, you know, it'll be hard to stop Man United. Was that, hang on, was that his first 90 minutes where he performed at that level? I, for Manchester United, I mean. I, I, you know, it's it's been the performances I think everyone has has been you know looking forward to. I think uh, we've seen it in the past. It's just not been on a consistent level, and um, and and that's the question mark all the time. Is that he sort of pops up and then he, he does brilliant things and then he disappears for a couple of games and then he's out of the team and then there's transfer talks and then he's back in and it, you know. You know, he's, it's his last year now in, in, in his contract. So does he stay at United? Does he go? Uh, he's I think had one season... good game. Let's see what he does next week and the week after. Yeah, I, I agree. For once, I agree with you, Bridgie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it, Schwartz? And you've been you've been vocal on him in a, in a constructive sense for a little while. And, and when you look at the fact that in one game, he beat his assist record for an entire season, I suppose that sums everything up. And, and a lot of the, the commentary since then, you can either have people saying, what a performance he's going to be a star this year. And there's another band going, that's the level he should be at regularly. Or, you, you know, you might not be doing four assists a game, but you've just got to be that influence week in, week out, if you want to be the star that he claims to be. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, I, I, I agree with Thomas. He was outstanding. And it's kind of, it, I, I can only imagine what a lot of United fans feel. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I don't watch all United games, but a lot of games that I've watched, that's the only game I've seen 90 minutes of Paul Pogba delivering what one would expect from him, the ability that he possesses, what he's done on occasions for France, uh, or more consistently, certainly. I've just not seen him do it for 90 minutes for Manchester United other than on the weekend for the first time. Um, is it a coincidence that's happening in the last year of his contract? Who knows? Let's wait and see what happens. But you want to see that every week. If he performed, or at least most weeks, you know, sometimes you have dips in form. But uh, I think... If you see that more consistently, then we can start talking about Paul Pogba being a world-class player. At this stage, he's not. But his performance on the weekend was absolutely world-class. And let's hope that that performance continues. £120,000 a week or something absurd. I, I saw this this morning that Paris Saint-Germain are offering for next season now. There's, you know, obviously, this season, they've had a they've had a uh, little bit of a distraction with their transfer strategy. So, Paul, Paul, can you wait a year for us and, and we'll load you up next year if you want to come on a free? Um, I mean, that's all transfer gossip, but that's, gonna, that's not going to go away if he doesn't sign a new contract at Manchester United over the coming weeks and months. Schwartz, we'll, we'll discuss United in the next chat a little bit more in depth, but your highlight of the weekend. And, and it's great to see you out and about as well while we uh, watched on from our mm -hmm. screens here too. Yeah, oh, yeah of course. I loved, I loved being at um, you know, the Brentford Community Stadium. I loved the whole experience, actually, going to Griffin Park. I think I'd played there once before with Middlesbrough against Brentford. Um, the whole atmosphere, the, the, the uh, excitement of being, obviously, for a lot of fans, their first time in their new stadium, which was already a year old. Um, which is crazy to think that, um, that that was that was actually the case. So the first time it was full um, because of the pandemic, unbelievable atmosphere, really cool little stadium. It comes from nowhere. You you kind of rock up and you go, where is it? And it's behind this hotel, and it's like it's bizarre. Then you get in there, and it, the first thing I thought was, this is going to be intimidating for people, and there's going to be a lot, a lot of players and teams that are going to struggle to play here if they go in your face, if the crowd are up for it, which they were more than up for on the weekend. 
I know that one of the coaches at Arsenal, Steve Round, um, he's, I think he's like either assistant or, or first team coach. And I spoke to him briefly before the game as they were warming up on the pitch. And he said, you know, we had a lot of, had obviously a setback with the, the Lacazette and Birmingham being ill. Um, but it's a good opportunity for these young players. You've got some good young players. And I said, but I'll tell you what, there's going to be some, it's going to be tough tonight because this is a tough place to play with people on top of you. And it's going to be either the making or breaking of players. And I think it's going to be a really tough challenge for you. And I actually said a lot to a lot of Brentford fans, I fancy them tonight. Arsenal were there to be taken and they they took their opportunity and could have won by more. I think we commented on this in one of the um, podcasts gone by last season when, the, you know, a lot of the players that were breaking through um, from clubs around the country or around the world that hadn't played in front of fans before, how it was going to impact them when there were stadiums and what influence they were going to have. And I think Swartzy just summed that up perfectly there. There's players that haven't played in front of a, a, a full house as yet in their career for first team football. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how they how you adapt to that. Because I've seen training ground players and then you put them in the first team and they, they don't do it. And the training ground players, I've seen other lads that don't do it on a regular basis in training, but you put them over that white line and they can perform. They're entertainers. So, um, and uh, the fans played a massive part in that result, Swarty. The best part for me that highlights Swarty had to be the camera shot of the old guy watching Brentford win 2-0 over Arsenal. He had tears running down his face. That, for me, summed up why we love football. Yeah, there was another really cool um, moment as well where Thomas Frank went over to a young supporter in the stand um, and and the kid was obviously, I mean, he's obviously, he's been ill and he went over to him and the excitement and the joy in the kid's face and obviously Thomas Frank's excitement and the way he played up to it. And I spoke to him after the game and he was just... Like, you know, just so over the moon with it all and excited about it. And it was like a kidness in a, in a candy store. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we're on fans. We can talk about that now because we can sit here and go, it's just wonderful to see the atmosphere. And and for me, it just felt like something that had been missing from all our lives for 18 months was just back with a bang. And, and I've said it a few times. It's not that you forget what it's like to attend a sports game or what it's like to have fans, but maybe you'd kind of just plateaued and got used to the empty stadium and what football started to look like. And the Euros shot us back into gear. But the weekend, I mean, I was insanely jealous here in Australia watching how how amazing it looked, how much fun everyone's have, 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 having. But the football impact, guys, it's fascinating. I don't, do you guys put any credence to the 10 wins and 10 losses to the fans, the fact that the style of play, the energy, um, how much of an influence is fan, a fans going to have on the pitch, Thomas? I think it has a massive in, in impact. You know, we, we can go back to when, when we were playing, you know, <laughs> you know, playing at your home ground with the fans behind you, it gives you 10 extra percent, you know, uh, it, it, it heightens the, you know, the, the alertness uh, of players, uh, the intensity of the game, you know, we, we can take the, you know, the Man City Spurs game, you know, they, you know, Man City were all on top. Spurs started to get a foothold in the game and then slowly turned it around. And I think the fans there, the energy in the stadium, surely played a, a massive part for them. Um, and that was just one example. And, and we saw the, the Brentford all the way around. And uh, I think it plays a massive part. It's the heartbeat of, of, of football and, and we've been missing it. And you were there, Schwartz. So you reckon that the, the intimidating atmosphere uh, had an impact at the Brentford ground where, where, where teams are going to have to go to, to almost those um, 
it's, it's like a grassroots field. Everyone's on top of each other. Um, but what did you make about the style of play and the, the, the tempo and, 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 the, and the level of, of alertness of players over the first weekend, thanks to the fans being back in the stadium? Also the mood, because the first time in 18 months, players have had either happy or angry fans on their back as well. Yeah, uh, I think, like Thomas was saying, it has an enormous impact. Um, we all know what it was like as players been out there. There's nowhere to hide. There's accountability. So whether you're playing badly uh, or playing really well, there is an, there's an enormous amount of responsibility and accountability at hand. There's nowhere to hide. I think there were some results during lockdown where we were no fans, where high-scoring results, where players almost just gave up. And that would never have happened if there were fans in the, in the stadium. And then we, we saw that on the weekend. I think it just gives everyone that big, that big boost, that, that uh, readiness to know that, right, okay, well, no matter what happens today, I can't hide. I've got to do my job. I've got to do the best of possibility that I've got. And um, I've also, you know, they're, they're a bigger judge of the way we perform and how we play than, than, than anyone else. And, and uh, I'll go back to it. Accountability is just so huge. Gents, highlights of the week. Are you going to say something there, Bridgie? No, just no, totally no, agree. Just the mic's back up. Um, highlight, highs, lows of the weekend. Who's hot, who's not? It's very hard. And, and one of the mistakes some, some pundits and journos make, obviously, is jumping to huge conclusions after round one. But we can get first impressions. We certainly can see who's got work to do, who's going to spend a little bit more time in the transfer market, um, who's exceeded our expectations already, who's had a good preseason, all that kind of stuff. And it, we, we're, we're still got to make those calls after the first week. So, Bridgie, um, who was... Who took your fancy this week in terms of, you know, the, came out of the blocks and, and really set the tone uh, for the first week of the season? Dave, this will put a smile on your face because it was your boys, Chelsea. I know that they were coming up against a team in Crystal Palace that have obviously had a change in manager, Vieira. Everybody's out to impress, waiting to see what is going to go on after Roy Hodgson has departed. Is it going to be a, a new change? And I'll tell you what. Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea just came out, and that's without Lukaku, by the way. Havertz was on the bench. They've had the um, the injury, I think, was Ziyech got injured, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And yep. I'm thinking, what what's going to happen here? They came out. They controlled that game from start to finish, and they were clinical as well. And they were very, very hot, mate. So I, I, after watching the performance that they put in, I was absolutely blown away. And I was so disappointed with the way Palace performed and Arsenal. They were so lacklustre, both teams. Didn't have any fight inside of them. Um, but Chelsea, they, you know, they were, had to go out and put a performance on in front of their fans and the, with the players that they've got coming back as well and the changes they can make. Thomas Tuchel, uh, I think he's an absolute genius, Dave, and you've got him. But Chelsea, 3-0 wins over Crystal Palace. And Marcus Alonso with an amazing free kick to kick things off. Christian Pulisic. And then Trevor Chalabar. How good is it to see a young kid just live his dream? And that was absolutely magnificent. Uh, neutral or Chelsea fan or not, it's lovely to see those stories uh, at the highest level. Um, Thomas, what about you? Um, you know, again, there's, there's a lot of question marks uh, with obviously Liverpool. And I, I thought they were very impressive. I know Norwich... Probably showed some of the weaknesses that they had last time around in the Premier League. Um, you know, exciting going forward, but uh, you know, not probably not good enough at the back. And and I think Liverpool put in a you know a, a very professional performances. We you know we saw the best of the front three. You know, Van Dijk is back. Um, you know, I, I think they'll go far this season. Uh, so they impressed me. Uh, you know, because that was a. You know, a game where a little bit like the Arsenal at Brentford, where, you know, you're up against a tough team away from home in your first game, you'll be tested. And I think they they, they, they lived up to and, and um, 
did well enough uh, to to deserve the win. Three familiar scorers in that performance, of course, Salah, Firmino and Jota. And just talking about, you know, we, we did, I'm not saying we overlooked them last week. They were in all our conversations about the top four, but looking across the whole Premier League world, they are the least tipped title winner out of the big four. Most people are going for the other three teams. Um, I do wonder whether, though, the having you know that, that energy back, uh, a new style of football this year, in terms of the crowds back and that furnace at Anfield, um, this season might suit them a little bit more than people give them credit for, Tom. And, and do you think, from what you saw on the weekend, that and you can't judge too much into the Norwich game, but it looks like they might be able to build into the Liverpool that we, we knew pre-last season? Yeah, I, I definitely. The home record was always good uh, before the pandemic, and and I think having fans back at Anfield is a massive, massive boost for them. Uh, I still think there's question marks in midfield. You know, Henderson is a year older. Milner, you know, they've lost Wijnaldum. Um, you know, can someone step up there, and uh, or can they find someone? Um, you know, before the transfer window closes, I think that's probably the only question mark I have because all over the pitch, uh, they, they, they look, uh, you know as strong as they were a couple of years ago. So, so uh, yeah, I, I definitely think they'll be uh, higher up than people think uh, at the end of the season. Yeah, I thought they were very impressive, um, Tommy, um, with Liverpool. But again, I just see your Manchester Cities, your Chelsea's, the squad depth that they have. I think if Liverpool get any form of injuries or the squad depth, they have not got the cover. The other issue you got to be, uh, remember is that African nations, Mane Salah, will be, if it goes ahead, of course, um, COVID permitting, uh, then then that's a big loss for them. Uh, so Liverpool will have to, I mean, they started well. I, I think what's great about the weekend's beginning is that the, the big boys, so Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool, put in some really good performances. Um, Spurs winning uh, at home to Manchester City is not a real surprise to me because I thought Manchester City weren't, really at it in the community shield. Pep Guardiola played it down a lot. Um, and last season, let's not forget, after 10 games, they were 11th. And look how they won, ran away with the uh, the league in the end. So there's still a lot of football to be played. Manchester City will be there or thereabouts coming in the season 100%. Um, Liverpool's only concern is, is African nation. If that goes ahead and how long they'll lose Mane and Salah for. And on that, on that short as well, um, there's been a lot of talk about Vinaldum leaving, of course, and, and tro- uh, Klopp actually trotted out a completely different... It's not going to be their first-choice midfield uh, the, on the weekend as a, a Milner, Keita, Oxlade-Chamberlain. Good just to see what options he's got. You'd suspect Milner, Fabinho uh, and, um, and uh, Thiago come in, but there isn't that clear replacement for Vinaldum in that cohort, is there? There isn't, but is that a big problem? Um, it may be. Listen, I think when Alden was brilliant because he could play so many different sort of positions in midfield, more advanced, more of a sitting role. Um, his work rate was exceptional. Thiago is, for me, still, again, the bit of a problem. How do you fit him into a Liverpool side? He's a lot sideways and backwards. He certainly hasn't got the mobility that uh, Alden has, um, nor with Henderson or Oxlade-Chamberlain. So I can see why... Uh, even Milner. Milner still gets around a lot, lot easier, more uh, easier, more comfortable and quicker uh, than than Thiago. It's just not one of his strengths. Uh, but once once Fabinho uh, is back in and Henderson's back in, that gets that team back together again. But the great thing is they went away to Norwich. They had Henderson, sorry, they had Milner and Oxley Chamberlain in midfield, and they won the game. They won the game comfortably. So that, that's a great sign for them. 
Bridgie, what did Spurs do so well against Manchester City? It's it's hard to read too much into City given their preseason, and we don't know whether their team is well, their lack of preseason, and we don't know what this team will look like come the end of the transfer window. But what did Spurs do so right? And as a Spurs fan, um, what does that do to you for your confidence levels to begin the Nuno era? Yeah, it was very pleasing on the eye, and you know Nuno's record against um, Pep. We've seen him do it in the past where. Wolves absorb pressure. They caught Man City on the counter-attack. And I've got to say, the front three in, in Lucas Moura, Sonny and Bergvan, it was just absolutely dynamic when they got it right. The young boy Skip came in and did a job alongside um, Oiberg in there and Deli Ali. It was good to see him back. And the one, the, the moments and opportunities that Tottenham got when they went on the counter-attack with the pace and the dynamics that they did, I thought it was absolutely blistering. So Nuna got it absolutely spot on. And defensively, you know, they, again, they absorbed a hell of a lot of pressure. Don't, don't get us wrong. Um, Sancho was in there. Dyer was the one that I worry about with his pace. But they were just solid. And um, all in all, a very, very solid performance defensively. But the tactics were spot on by Nuno. You mentioned, Swati, that you weren't worried about City. Which of these, and for the, you, Tommy, as well, which of these uh, first impressions from the weekend, you look at and go, that's just week one, Parker, you know, Manchester United against Leeds, is a similar result to last year, we've got to see another test, or you look at City and go, you know, we want to give them a couple of weeks, or which result do you look and go, hmm, that one's got some omens for the season, this one might be something to, to be excited about or worry about, that might, there might be a little bit more in it? Well, um, thinking about it, I mean, listen, Arsenal... It's not even a surprise because I, I think they'll be where they're going to be because they're just not good enough. And there's a lot of talk about Aubameyang now, possibly Barcelona. I don't even know how that's even possible because um, <clears throat> Barcelona are, what, 1.3 billion euros in debt now, apparently. 103% wage bill that, that they've got at the moment, which <laughs> that's without Yeah, anything. so, I mean, I don't even see that even being popped. I mean, it's, it's, it's fantasy, uh, fantasy football, that is. Um, yeah, listen, they'll all be tested. I mean, if you look at, for example, um, Chelsea's running over the next couple of weeks, they're gonna, they've got some early tests coming up. Um, you know, Liverpool's one of them uh, in two games' time. Um, Manchester United have got a chance now to go on a really good run. But again, it's one of those things. Manchester United against Leeds, there's the history there. There's the, the, the emotion, the fans are right up for it. It's such a big game um, for them um, and especially for the fans. It's when they play the lesser clubs, how are they going to react? I mean, listen, they look brilliant. They look very, very good. Um, but again, I, I have to say, I thought Leeds United were poor. And Calvin Phillips was a big, big miss for them. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe, I hope not, maybe that's just a, a massive, uh, you know, massive wake-up call for Leeds United and their squad and their manager. Um I hope they get it right. You know, I hope that's not a point where maybe a thing to come for the remainder of the season. I'm not really sure. Any fears there, Bridgie? Or is it is it that Manchester United against an open team, a bit naive from Leeds and, and a bit like last year, didn't learn the lessons? He definitely didn't learn the lessons from last season. But what Swartz just said, there was one man was unbelievable in the Euros and it was Calvin Phillips. And I watched Cock playing there as that defensive midfielder and Bruno Fernandes, the running and the ability to lose his marker in cock was just superb. And he just blindsided cock on so many occasions when he was making runs in behind Greenwood. And cock didn't have a clue where he was. That would not have happened with Calvin Phillips. But the still lessons have got to be learned from this. I thought Manchester United were, it's probably the best I've seen them perform in the last, even all the results last season. 
I thought what they did was absolutely brilliant. The counter-attack, um, the possession, the movement, the rotations, and everybody, including Pogba, stepped up to it. But Calvin Phillips uh, was a huge miss for Leeds. And like you say, lessons weren't learned. And Bielsa and his team will, because they, they, they weren't going to change and go when, when it went to 3-1 down. He's not going to sit back and absorb pressure and try and nullify matches and, and, and damage limitation. Bielsa's style is we'll keep going and we'll keep fighting. Now, that can leave you very exposed and Leeds will get found out a few times this season. But what they will do, they will take other teams to the sword with their style of play. Decent options, though, Tommy, that uh, Manchester United didn't have Rashford, Cavani, Sancho starting. Uh, it augurs well, particularly given Greenwood looked like a, well, he looked like a, he looked like a new man. Yeah, no, I thought he was he was brilliant, uh, and we can't forget Varane coming coming in as well, or at least being an, an option. Um, so, so if, you know, I think they got plenty United. Uh, you know, they as you said, they've they've got options on the bench, uh, and they did look very good. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure they they'll they'll be there and about. But but one of the, the 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 other top teams I would mention is, and they're a bit under the radar. I think Leicester, again, great performance I think uh, against a tough wolf side I think they they did what they have to do uh, Vardy back on the score sheet um you what know, a and, goal by the way yeah fantastic goal uh and and he you know there's always question marks every season can he keep doing you know can he keep <laughs> can he keep scoring and um and he does um and again uh, you know I'm happy to see uh, Vestergaard I think that's a good signing that he he came on uh so they've they've added something at the back uh, uh, with the injury uh, they got in the preseason. So, you know, I think they're looking looking good. And if Madison doesn't go, I think they, they uh, and Tillemans as well, um, they're, they're looking strong. How does your ex-teammate Vardy keep doing it, Schwartz? Because each year they, they keep saying, maybe Ian Acho will step up this year. They've signed Pats and Dakar. Um, I, I read an article uh, over the weekend that said they just told Vardy to spend some time with the family and rest up over the off-season and come back fresh. And he looks like he's uh, ready to go yet again with a couple of years left uh, in his contract still. Yeah, no, he, you know, he's phenomenal, isn't he? I mean, how, how does he do it? I mean, firstly, there's a lot of natural fitness, um, body shape, uh, uh, lack of body fat in terms of just a natural side to it. Cause it's not like he, he certainly when I was there that he was that, that worried about what he ate or what he drank. And I think it's well documented that as well. Um, <laughs> certainly you would think the older you get, hopefully the bit more mature you become and you start to take more notice and, and, and try and take care with it. Um, there's no doubt he'll be doing that. And the club will certainly be on his, on his back about that to make sure he does do it. If he's not already doing it. Um, I think you know. Last season, we saw there were there were times where he he did struggle with injuries. There were muscle injuries and so forth, and that's always a sign that you know when you're getting older, when you're relying so much on pace, um, and maybe like I said, if he's not quite at the top of his game in terms of looking after himself, things can creep in. So he's got to make sure he does those tweaks if he hasn't already done it. Um, it will play a massive part. I think last season he scored 15 goals. Inacho stepped up. Um, they're going to have to share the load because Vardy can't do it all, all by himself. Um, but I still just, I don't know. There's something about less that I just, when I look at the, the other, the other teams that are vying for top four position, I just, again, think Leicester are, are so close, but I think they'll just fall short again, but listen, it's game one. Mm. I mean, it's so much to play for um, the big, the big teams other than Man City all got off to really good starts and look good. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Hopefully, it's going to be tight for the for most of the season. And by the way, no disgrace if Leicester are, you know, 
consistent in that fifth position again this year. And I think that's what excites me too, is is we thought last week when we spoke at length that it would be hard to split the big guns. And you look at the first weekend of the season, particularly with the team everyone thought might run away with it in City, being the only one that didn't win, that hopefully it does all go well for a really tight, tight title race, an interesting title race going forward. Last week, we touched on a few teams that we might have been worried about, but uh, Watford, Everton, West Ham, all got off to really good starts. Uh, your thoughts or maybe a surprise that you had over the weekend? Bridgie, we'll start with you and then uh, and go through about anyone that outperformed expectations to start the season and whether there might be anything more to read into that. Well, I've got to say it was Watford that caught the eye with their, their result. The um, result Three, two, over Aston Villa. Aston Villa, yeah. And it was the way in the manner they went about it. And I, I really, really enjoyed their their counter-attack, the, the home fans played a massive, massive part. And the boy I'm a huge fan of is Saw, the right winger. I was very surprised that he stayed there after they went after they went down. Uh, I thought there was a lot of Premier League clubs would have been chasing him. It's great to see him back. And yet again, the pace of the man, the direct attitude and what they had. And you could just tell by the way the players embraced um, the manager at the end of the game. Um, Cisco, is it? Mm. You could just tell there was something that I haven't seen at Watford for quite a long time with their managers as well. You could tell that the players had obviously bought into what he was about, but I hadn't seen that. And I just thought that result obviously plays a huge part, but there's still the chemistry between the manager and the players. And it was a very, very good start for Watford um, against a team who were questioned, how will they do without Jack Grealish? And I think last season's results towards the end of the season for Villa showed that fact that they are going to miss Jack Grealish. And this result proves that, I think, that they're losing a huge dynamic that they were renowned for when he would attract two or three players towards him. There was others were benefiting of it. So, I, yeah, it was, it was great for Watford. Um, I was just a little bit worried about Villa, I've got to say. And, and Mings didn't look, didn't look to be the player that was the England player that I thought he was. Echo any of that, Tom? You know, I still think it, it's too early. Like, some of the players... Uh... You know, Buendia, uh, Leon Bailey came on. And I thought he, he looked he looked pretty good. Uh, you know, he, he you know he helped bring them back back in the game. Um, so, yes, it wasn't a great performance. Uh, it wasn't uh, up to the standards uh, that Dean Smith uh, expects. Um, but but I think when they bet in the new players, uh, when they get over the loss, I think they they'll be they'll be in that hunt in the top eight uh, for sure. I think. Everton 3, Southampton 1, Newcastle 2, West Ham 4. A couple of other results, Brighton 2, Burnley 1. And uh, yeah, they're, they're the other ones we haven't touched on. Any any other impressions from there, Schwartzy, particularly with the teams that, again, we were, we were worried about Everton last week, but particularly with the fans there jumping onto the field at the end of the game, um, maybe that was just, just, just the atmosphere and the performance Rafa Benitez needed to try and maybe uh, silence a few of those sceptics there. No, I think it was a huge performance, uh, huge. I, I think what was key was it, it worked out perfectly for them because they went one got one one nil down. And in the past, and this is, I think, what's been kind of the overriding kind of feeling from a lot of Everton fans is in the past under uh, Ancelotti um, and, and, and previous managers, when they go one nil down, they very rarely come back. And they came back and they came, the way they came back in the game, they dominated the second half and, and, and obviously ran away with it in the end. It's obviously key with with uh, Benitez to coach and manage the current players. Obviously, two players that he brought in 
in, in Andros Townsend and, and Damari Gray made their debuts. They made, they started in the 11. The rest were players from last season. So it's about Benitez getting the best out of the players that they've already got because they've got some decent players there. They've just been underperforming. And I don't think... I said it back then, and it was a big call. I wasn't quite sure about Ancelotti because I thought that he's only ever managed big clubs, big name players, and I'd never really... I mean, unless I'm wrong, unless someone can correct me, I've never really seen him bring any players through, any young, talented players and develop them. Um, whereas Benitez, I think, is probably one of his strengths to deal with younger players and, and micromanage them, I think. Um, and I think it was a surprise in, in one sense, um, probably the biggest surprise was the Everton fans being so so much behind him to begin with, even before the game began. That shocked um, me, Swartzy. I've got to say, that shocked me. Yeah. I did not think he would get that kind of evasion. That's right. So, And I think, back to my point about the fans, and they said they were just over the moon, the fact that Everton could come back from 1-0 down and they hadn't done it for so long and just thought they couldn't do it anymore. And, and this, particularly this squad of players, they didn't think they had it in them. So I think the Benitez effect... Was there and there and very uh, very very prominent on the weekend of the first game, but again, it's one game. But still, I think it's a very positive start for Everton. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Bridget was a rock and roll with Newcastle against West Ham. And uh, it's it's funny, you go through a season where things are solid, a little bit unspectacular, and you say, we, you know, oh, geez, Newcastle games with Steve Bruce, he takes the life out of them. Then here, all of a sudden, you get an explosion, but you end up losing uh, 4-2. What did you make of that? Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting game. I mean, listen, for the fans to be back at St. James's Park, the full house, it was brilliant to witness. And the That's atmosphere generated is, is just great. Obviously, they did not get the result that they wanted. And they came up against a team, you know, with West Ham and Moyes, a, a team that I'm thinking, what are they going to do this season? Well, I'll tell you what, they, <laughs> they were absolutely magnificent. The Antonio and the boy that's out for me was born. The, the movement from him was dynamic. And Newcastle played that, you know, that back line of, of five that they do. They had Shelby, Almiron and Hayden in front of them. And they were just trying with Callum Wilson and St. Maximum, who every time St. Maximum got the ball, I've got to say, it was amazing to hear all the fans seats around the stadium, that little r r clap effect, because you could tell when Maximum was on the ball, everybody got excited and stood up. It was that kind of, he's that type of player. Um, but again, they did not get the result, a little bit lacklustre, but I've, I've got to credit West Ham for the way that they came out and um, exposed Newcastle. I think the combination of West Ham, uh, Ben Rama, Fornells, Bowen, like you mentioned there, Bridgie, um, really important that they gel. And, and Ben Rama gets an opportunity to have a run in the team because last season, a bit stop start, really didn't get that. that I think that feeling that he was a regular in the side. Um, the other key for them, for me, is Antonio being fit. I mean, you just, you're just kind of yeah. almost waiting for him to be injured again and be out for a couple of weeks. Um, and then Newcastle, very much the same. Callum Wilson and St. Maxima. They stay fit, Newcastle will be fine. And there'll be entertainment, there'll be goals. Um, but the, the key is for them to be fit. 
The only issue I see with Newcastle as a midfield, John Joe Shelby is not enough for them. No, yeah, that, that was a big thing because obviously they've got the Longstaff brothers there as well that have been waiting for opportunities and that the fans absolutely adore because they are local boys. They weren't in that holding midfield alongside Shelby. I think what they're, they're hoping Shelby gives that that service and that production line going forward for the two boys up front that you mentioned. But defensively, still think there's a, there's a massive, massive weakness there. When you look at the likes of a Declan Rice sitting midfielder for West Ham, you look... You look at the big teams, your Chelsea's, your Manchester City's, they've all got these good defensive midfield um, players. I still think that's a key area that Newcastle United are, are just lacking at this moment in time when they get done on the break. Tommy, we uh, started the round. We talked about it a bit earlier with Brentford. We hailed Brentford. We talked about the wonderful atmosphere there. We talked about the environment there. But we got to talk about Arsenal. How bad were they? And we've had, uh, or should we just stop here, go back to an episode from maybe two years ago and just replay what you said then? Because has anything changed? No, keep talking about it. I love it. Go on, Tommy. Take uh, it away. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think, you know, it, it's the, the same old uh, head that that uh, came out. Uh, you know, it's, it's you know, that just that softness when they need to roll the sleeves up, when they get under pressure, uh, especially away from home. They're always decent uh, at the Emirates. Uh, and it showed against Brentford. I think, you know, the long throw. I, I, I remember my, at my time at Stoke, we used to love playing against Arsenal, um, you know, at, at the Britannia because they, they just didn't fancy it. You could see it in their faces. And, and, and Brentford did the same. I think Brentford tactically, you know, they play some good football, but, but they also exploited the weaknesses. And, and the long throw was, you know, summed it up. Uh, you know, I think Leno, again, you know, he gets held really easily, you know, it, if he tries to get around, he might get a free kick, but he sort of just accepts it. They don't sort of challenge for the ball and, and it's just too easy. Uh, and, and you can't give those goals away um, on a day when you, you're not playing well. You, you need to be solid. And, uh, you know, until that's rectified and they've taken that, you know, you've you got to go back to Vieira and, and Petit and all that, you know, when they had it, they haven't had it since. And, and if they don't find it somewhere, they're never going to win the title or never going to win any any trophies um, because the other teams are just better in that department. Um, and and that's, a, that's a state fact. And we saw it. Thomas, on that thing about Burton Leno being pinned and being pinned early. See, I'm, I'm, I was a fan of always having my own defender between me and the attacker. So there was that space. So I was able to create a little bit of area, a bit of room to, to create some momentum if I needed to come out and, 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 and attack a ball. Whereas I see more and more goalkeepers, and I know Kasper Schmeichel was at Leicester, didn't want anyone there. He wanted to deal with the attacker himself. For me, that just cre- that can create problems. It can allow what happened to Bert Leno, get pinned in, be more focused on trying to deal with the guy in front of him, or he's not focused on him and he's allowed to be pinned in like Bert Leno was. I mean, I, I, I think it's a foul, um, but the referee obviously doesn't give it. Um, but... For me, you you invite danger and problems onto you if you don't have an extra defender in there to, to deal with that player. Yeah, There's yeah, but also to- I, I also think as a, from a goalkeeping point of view, if if he if he tries to get around him, if if he starts fighting him in the more obvious reason when he knows he's being pinned, he gets a free kick. But he sort of just stays behind him. I know he's got the arms around, but it's not obvious enough for the referee to to give it. I think he has to. He has to take that charge when he's when he says, "Okay, I'm in trouble here." He's got to do something, and he doesn't do anything. And I think that just in, that leaves it in that gray area where he doesn't get the free kick. 
We said we don't want to get carried away in round one, but the truth is Brentford was the winnable game or the most winnable game for Arsenal of the first three. When you look at Chelsea and Manchester City to come, Bridgie, Arteta was under pressure last year. What has to happen in the coming weeks for that speculation and that focus and that intensity on what is going on at Arsenal not to go to the next level for Mikel Arteta? Well, I've got to say off the back of what the boys were saying there, I thought that goal might have been disallowed from VAR because I agreed that it was a foul. The amount of times that I try to do that goalkeepers and you try to, you know, I, I used to love trying to put my back two studs on their toes just to pin them in and, and get them to push me and, and play play a game with them just to annoy them. Um, but I did think that was, that was the wrong decision. It should have been disallowed. However... That performance from Arsenal, like we say, I thought was absolutely disgusting. I don't know whether we read into too much about Aubameyang and Lacazette being ill because I thought Arteta's interview was very, very clever afterwards or even before the kickoff when he said, you know, it's not excuses. It's about change. We're going to have to get used to change this season. I think, I don't know whether he's talking about the whole board or whether he's talking about his club or all the clubs about if people are sick and illness, we've got to take it as if it could be. Um, the COVID. So the two players that obviously have come out now, Aubameyang, is he going to Barcelona? Are they going to swap Coutinho or something like that? I don't know whether we read too much into that, but there's definitely still a bit of disruptions going on behind the scenes at Arsenal. Now, where do they pick um, Where do they pick that up, Dave? Well, you know, I think it's a, a couple of easy weeks for them because they've got to take on Chelsea next week and then Manchester City. So if you get results against the two big boys that have started this season unbelievably, then everybody forgets about the Brentford game. However, if you lose against Manchester City and you lose against Chelsea in the up and coming weeks, then I'll tell you what, the boys and girls, um, you know, when we were all discussing on Instagram, on the Optusport Instagram pages, who we thought was going to be the first manager sack, I had said Hasenhutl. A lot of people went for Mikel Arteta um, from our pundits across the board. And if he doesn't get them first three results and he's sitting on zero points, I'll tell you what, they... they the, the axes and the, the knives will all be coming out and they'll be aimed at him. Yeah, it'll be about the manner of it, won't it? it it's, it's, they are two games against opponents that are going to provide formidable challenges, but they cannot be meek in those couple of games there. Thomas, uh, Thomas Frank, tell us a little bit about, about your compatriot and, and what should we know about him and, and what's, is he, uh, what's his status like back home? <laughs> you know, he's, he's gone under the radar. He's, he's got a, a, a big history, uh, you know, in, in the youth set setup. You know, he he, he was never a, a, a decent player himself. I think he played second division in, in Denmark. Uh, so he got into player development very early. Um, he actually um, coached with uh, Juhlmann, uh, the, the the present Denmark coach uh, at Lyngby for, for, for a little while. And, uh, and you know, he sort of just built a reputation of, of being a, you know, very inclusive coach, um, you know, he, he loves building, you know, team building, uh, takes a lot of, um, you know, inspiration from, from the All Blacks and, and the way they do it. Uh, uh, and that, that's, the, that's how he recruits players. And, and that's his mantra at, at Brentford is, you know, it, it's club first mentality. We got to, you know, we got to win as a team uh, and then obviously exploit the, um, the individual qualities that, that player, players have. But, you know, the way he went to Brentford as an assistant coach and, and has worked his way up, I think, uh, you know, and with the disappointments of, of losing the player final um, and then coming back and keeping that, that's a testament to him 
you know, having the players on, on his side and, and keep pushing and, and keep developing. And, uh, you know, I think it was a great uh, culmination uh, up, up until now uh, against Arsenal. It looked at uh, your interview, Schwartzy, and also just his demeanour at the game on the weekend. He looks like a character that we're going to enjoy watching uh, over the next couple of months. Yeah, and I think we will. I think we will. And, and I think the way that Brentford play as well, obviously high intensity, high energy. And like Thomas was saying there, togetherness, team spirit is an all time high. Um, you know, the, the test is when, when you have a couple of bad runs, but this side, um, if you look at their work rate, it was pretty impressive. I mean, Ivan Tony in particular, you talk about big striker, um, and everyone talks about, you know, I talked about before the game, the amount of goals he scored last season in the championship, 31 in the season, 33 in total, include the two playoff goals, how huge he was for them. But everyone went, was very quick to say, yeah, but it's not just his goals. It's his work rate and his assists. You know, he's, he's creating opportunities for his other teammates around him. And on the weekend, on Friday night, I tell you what, uh, Saturday morning, Australia time, he was... He was a man mountain. He was all over the place. He worked his socks off um, and he chased back. And I mean, and, and that, he's just one example. The whole team did it. So th that's what's impressive. And we've said it last season, people said, you know, Leeds United, could they do it for the entire uh, season? They showed everyone and, and proved everyone wrong. And I think, you know, for Brentford, that's another question. Can they do it? Have they got the quality? Have they got the energy? How will they react if they have a couple of bad results? But they look very, very good. And home form, as always, is going to be massive. Swartz, this was the team last week we were discussing. I had Brentford going down in my bottom three. I didn't it was see. The, it was the I team didn't. that I said, I hope that they prove me wrong because mm -hmm. after watching them play in the championship, I loved what they were about. I loved their team dynamics that you've talked about. And I hope to God that they get it right on a regular basis and enough to stay in the division. I did have them going down after seeing them in round one. Um, I'm gutted because Lloyd Abusu and all the Beast fans on social media were giving me so much grief. And it was justified because I thought they were magnificent. Like you say, I hope they can do a Leeds United from last season and just maintain that across the board for the whole season. And they did talk about that. They, they did mention, that's the first thing uh, the fans mentioned, um, is about we want to do it Leeds United. We, we, we feel that we can do what Leeds United did last season. That would be absolutely brilliant for them. Um, and, I, and I think that's that's going to be certainly one of their objectives, to try and emulate what Leeds did last season. I get the feeling, boys, that Bridgie might have been hoping to change that relegation tip like he changed his top four tip and then went back again and went back. But we'll give you the – it's a very good caveat, Bridgie. I'm tipping teams. Brentford, but I don't want it to happen. That's a rule, Bob, each way if I've ever heard it. That's very, very, very good. Very <laughs> skillful. A very skillful sitting on the fence there. Dave, there is worse yeah. teams in the Premier League than Brentford that should – Oh, now there are, right? after round one. Not beforehand. Now it's after round one. Wow. So you, you just want to go later on. But I did say it, but I also said I hope they stay up. So, so in theory, you can't lose, right? I'm doing a John Aloisi. I'm sitting on the fence here. Oh, dear me. Don't pick on someone that's not here anyway. We're just watching Bridgie. Bridgie's, uh, for the benefit of the listeners out there, Bridgie's Zoom video is cut out. And, and really the statuesque face we've got on his Zoom holding image, I, I'm finding it very hard to take him seriously because he's just staring back at me with this blank expression. <laughs> I look quite lean there, Dave. This picture must have been a few years ago. <laughs> at least sharp, 10 years ago. Looking sharp. Hey, moving on. And by the way, with Brentford, I think no matter what happens, they're going to add something to the Premier League this year. They're going to be worth watching and worth following throughout the season. Um, we got to come back over the weekend from Virgil van Dijk. Um, and we've spoken a lot about Liverpool's midfield, Liverpool's front three. And, and there's been a lot of commentary about, yes, van Dijk's back. So it adds a lot to Liverpool. I want to ask you guys just about 
we take that very sometimes in the media very um we take it for granted it's very frivolous Virgil van Dijk's back and Liverpool are back but my goodness what has it taken for Virgil van Dijk to get back can you guys take us into the challenge the journey and and the the emotion that he must have had on the weekend um to step back out on the field after so long and look so decent um after so long away I want to go peel that story back and actually look about what it would have taken for him to come back we'll, we'll, we'll kick off with with you Thomas and I'd love I'd just love to hear what you thought watching that as a player about him coming back to the field after an ACL injury yeah so you know as as you know what what we see as as fans is is obviously him going off and and then from then on you know the season continues games keep flowing and then he reappears but you know for him it, it, it would have been very tough. I think he's even come out and, and stated it. And, and for us, I, I thankfully haven't had, you know, serious injuries that lasted uh, six, seven, eight months. Um, but but being injured uh, at a club, you, you're working with the physio, you're sort of put to one side, really, uh, and have to deal the first couple of weeks, people ask about you and how are you doing? But then after you sort of become an afterthought for everyone because they got their games to focus on. The, the, the manager has got his own things and uh, it's mentally tough, um, you know, when, when nobody <laughs> really cares. Um, and, and uh, you know, and he, he would have obviously seen the Euro slip away as well. Um, so so it, it takes a lot of mental strength. And, uh, you know, I've played with players who'd had, injuries um you know knee serious knee injuries two or three times and i don't know how these players get get back from it because it takes a lot of resolve a lot of discipline a lot of grit and determination to get back at 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 that same level again uh, and i don't know about some of the you know bridget i don't know what you've had of injuries but uh you know i i just have seen it from from uh, sort of across the room a little bit and see how how people really struggle and 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 uh, especially into month 3 month 4 um when people have totally forgotten about you injuries tommy i can tell you about injuries i've got 11 scars on my body for 11 operations so there you go um it's yeah it's not a not a pretty pretty place when you are injured Dave and um, what I will give Van Dyke credit for Tommy's just nailed it like the mentality you come back stronger you realize w- w- something that you're doing for a living um, how much you want it when it's not there for you because I think at times in, in my career especially sometimes you take things for granted you're doing something that people love and and you forget about that I got blindsided by that a little bit um, I would say through the second start of the season for Leeds United after having an incredible first season. Um, not, not that I lost the drive. I just kind of lost my sight on what was important to me, and it was football. And sadly, the injuries came not long. The, the nasty injury came not long after that um, in the Champions League against Besiktas. And I, I think Van Dijk and would have definitely had the support at Liverpool from the players. Um, especially from the staff behind the scenes. And luckily, I've said this before, there was a guy called Dave Hancock that was the Leeds United physio at the time. Um, he, he saved my career. He saved my mentality as well because it was such a tough, tough battle to get back. After 14 months, I was out. Van Dyke, I think, has done nine to 10 months. Um, and the roller coaster ride you go through, having to come in and train every day, getting in before everybody else at that training ground, working longer than everybody else at that training ground, 
And even during the night times, I'm sure he would have been doing rehab work as well, because sometimes I went and stayed um, with Dave Hancock at his house just so we could get some extra treatment. Um, and that's the hours that he was given back to us. And you, do, you don't see that at the time, the amount of um, help I was given personally. And I lost my way a little bit is what I was saying. Um, it was the second injury that hurt me. So I'm hoping that Van Dyke, you know, doesn't have a, a repercussion or a compensation on the other side. Let's just hope that he has got that behind him. He can move on. He's done the rehab and he will come back physically and mentally stronger than he was beforehand. Whether he, whether it affects his pace, I don't know. We'll, time will tell on that. But everything else around him now will suggest to me that he will come back a better player all round. The one that really got me down, Dave, was the second one. Mentally, I couldn't handle that. The depression kicked in and I needed help. So that was the one you, because getting back from such a nasty injury like he has done, there's always that carrot dangling there. You see the light and you've got mm. something to go for. When something comes so early off the back of that, it can affect you. So um, let's just hope and fingers crossed and touch wood that Liverpool have got this man back to his best. And like I say, he will be stronger physically and mentally all around. I mean, Schwartz, your longevity is, is well documented. Did you have many big setbacks at all during your career? And if, and if you didn't, just talk to that mental side of it as well. Just the, the ability to always just stay uh, driven and focused to look after your body, to, to be uh, equipped to handle anything. I was fortunate. Um, the only really bad injuries I had were like broken bones. So there was nothing in terms of ligaments or, or muscular. I had a couple of little ones, but nothing major. So, I mean, the longest injury that kept well, one, one thing that kept me out was like five and a half months, but that was also because it was like a bit of a mess up. I, I broke my fibula and it was cracked and then it broke completely through. And then it didn't, it wasn't in line. It didn't heal. And then it was, it was determined too late. It was, there was, this was really early when I first came over to the UK. So the medical side of it wasn't as, as anywhere near as advanced. It is that, that just basically very, very rarely would ever happen these days. Um, the other one, I mean, I, I, I broke, I broke, a, um, one of my vertebrates. So I crushed the top part of it. So I was in a, it, it was a bad injury, but it wasn't something that was going to necessarily keep me out for a long period of time. It was serious, but it, it was only 10 weeks from start to finish. And what Bridgie, I think Bridgie touched on it there about the amount of training you do and how isolated it is and lonely it can be and how intense it can be. I, I had, I was training four times a day for about three weeks full on, uh, probably four weeks full on. Um, that, that's hard, but I had a, I had the light there at the end of the tunnel and I was getting better and better and better. And I was advancing my training all the time. So I can only imagine what it would be like to be out for, you know, nine months, 12 months, 18 months. I mean, well, I can only imagine. I can't, I can't, there's no way in the world. I've seen it. I've seen it with players and it's hard. And when you're playing, you, you take it on board a little bit and you try and offer something, but you, you're so focused on the game and training and making sure you're performing. You kind of, you don't really take it all in of how severe and how difficult it is for those guys who do get injured and out for long-term. Um, so uh, it doesn't surprise me that people find it really difficult and, and, and have struggled with it. It doesn't surprise me at all, but there's a huge amount of mental strength that goes into it. And I think even more today, the support is there. I mean, it got, got markedly better throughout my career. And today it is, I think the support is unbelievable. Um, 
so I think he's in the best possible place to get back to the fitness that he's at and to be able to back playing like he is. And by all accounts, didn't look like he was out at all when he played on the weekend. And I think that's the key. And Bridgie, Bridgie, I think hit the nail on the head. So long as he stays fit and hopefully there's no other bad injury to follow because often you see it when players have ACL injuries, there's generally, or a lot of the times, a quick follow-up of another injury that keeps them out for a long period of time. So hopefully that doesn't happen with uh, Virgil van Dijk. The Rolls-Royce, I think he was described as over the uh, over the weekend with his performance. But actually, just following up what you said there about, you know, being so focused on your own game that sometimes, you know, what the teammate that's out there working by himself. I just want to bring that now into the transfers aspect because we heard the Spurs crowd singing, are you watching Harry Kane over the weekend when uh, obviously they were doing so well against Manchester City and that story is just going to keep gnawing away until that transfer window closes a couple of weeks into the season. What kind of, so you talk about, I want to just go what kind of impact that has in the dressing room when you see a talismanic figure like Van Dyke, or in this instance, Kane. So it might be through injury. It might be through transfer speculation. How much does that filter through to the group? And how much of an impact does that have positively or in a, sorry, in a galvanizing effect or a negative effect on that dressing room? Um, so you mentioned there before, Shwati, how in, a, in, a, in an injury sense, you know, you, you, you're so focused. What, in, what, what When it is your talisman, like a Van Dyke or a Kane, to what extent does that filter into the major group and, and have an impact? I think um, I think they're two very different things. So in terms of an injury and a player out for long term is very, very different to a player that wants away and then the crowd are kind of on your back a little bit about it or on the team's back or on the player's back. You know, with, with Harry Kane's uh, situation, I don't necessarily think it was... I think it was more of a dig at we've beaten the team that you're desperate, so desperately want to go to. You know, we are... Um, we, we, we've, we've already, you know, we've put down our marker where we're, we've on, on our day, we were, on this day, we were better than Manchester City mm. and hence won the game. Um, I, I don't think it's going to deter Harry Kane one bit. I, I, I think he's going to go. I think they're making all the provisions and everything that he is going to go. Um, how does it affect the group? I think the group, knowing sort of knowing a little bit about Harry Kane and how he's been the ultimate professional since he's been at uh, Tottenham. I think the vast majority, I think actually every single one of those players won't have a problem with it. They don't want to let him go, but they completely understand it because I think the vast majority he's of them... He's done his service for them, Swartzy. That's what they'll Absol- recognise. Absolutely. And and every one of them will probably be thinking, if I had that opportunity, I'd be yeah. wanting to go as well. Correct. And I think the other thing that you look from that when you see that, you know, Walker went, and um, that was a, a big loss. For, for Tottenham Hotspur, he's gone, he's won things. We saw Trippier leave, he's gone, he's actually won things. That That's the one thing that um, Harry Kane has also in his favour, that he, he's, he's done his time, he's helped the team out, he's scored goals, he's never once shrugged on his responsibilities, he's always worn that shirt with pride. And it's got the point where the biggest, you know, the biggest spending club in the world has come for you. They're going to win things, no doubt about it. Harry Kane has got that opportunity, so there's no doubt that is going to tickle your fancy. Um, and I think he's handled. Tickles my fancy, after- definitely, yeah. definitely yeah. tickles and my I- fancy, mate. Thanks. <laughs> and it, it, you know, he's he's been impeccable the way he's handled himself. I feel so. I I wouldn't see any problem if he did. But again, I what Swartzy was saying there, I find it funny. The fans were tongue in cheek saying, "Are oh, you watching Harry Harry Kane?" Because they're beating the team that wants him. So th- this is the kind of funny banter that I've absolutely missed all of last season. Listening to the real fans' atmosphere instead of these, you know the the, the um, recordings that we had put out. It's just been great to hear the banter again with the fans um, towards the players and the other set of fans. 
So is that is that right, Tommy? So inside the dressing room, you you basically you you're all focused on yourself, and you don't you don't worry about the the broader speculation, whether it's Kane, whether it's whatever's on the front page of the paper, because uh, this is a weird one where the, the the transfer window goes three weeks into the season. To what extent is that a, a impact anything that goes on uh, to the playing group, or is it just all for us to to talk about and keep us busy on a Monday to Friday here? <laughs> No, no, I think it is a, a distraction to some point. Uh, you know, I think uh, the players obviously would, would love him to stay, but uh, but like uh, Swartz and Bridges said, you know, they, they, they also want a solution to it and, and, and understand that he, that he wants to leave. Um, but again, it's also what, what else goes on there? What, what, what's the David Levy situation? Because all those things that go on behind the scenes, um, Play an impact has an impact um, on players. You know, I've been at clubs where, when, when there's turmoil um, up above, uh, you know, then you know it, it does filter down to to, to players. Uh, you just want to focus on on playing. You don't want to ask, you know, answer questions about you know futures of, of managers and players and transfer strategy and and all those things. So. I think people just want the players just want to resolve of, of the situation and, and move on and get, get into the season. They've had a great start and, uh, and, and if Kane goes, they wish him well. Dave, off the back of that, I'm going to go to Tommy and go back to the preseason at Sunland when you travelled to Denmark with Peter Reid and the team and myself and Alan Johnson were left behind. Can you remember that? Yes. So me and Jono wouldn't sign a, wouldn't sign a contract um, at Sunderland at that moment in time, me and obviously that was the season I moved to Leeds United. Peter you Reed decided, you rebels. Tommy, <laughs> I, said, I said, Is someone missing? No, no, no one's missing. Well, no one's this missing. is what I was nah. going to say to Tommy. We got left behind just on leave. a pre season trip, just train with the youth team. That's how we got handled. So, I want to know if Tommy, if that had any effect on your pre season with two lads that you know, um, were potentially going to be leaving. There you go. Or whether you just forgotten about us and couldn't give it. <laughs> no, 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 obviously, it, obviously, it, it hurt. It hurt you, Bridgie, because you're still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, again, I, I think well, we all just understand. to give the listeners a, the kind of the dynamics what we're talking about here. That's like the perfect example. You were actually there when when I went to Leeds United and how how we were banished from the you know the the preseason tour of Denmark, yeah. which I was gutted about. Yeah, no, I, but I think as as players, you, you, there's there's a, two sides to it. There, there's the the emotional the you know the, the the feeling side of it you know you you're losing two teammates two people you care about but then you also understand that there's a business side to to football as well and uh, and I've never had anything against people you know wanting to 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 further their careers or, or if they've got other options um, you know that that's the the the, the game that, that that you play you know ultimately. You know, you, you're looking to set yourself up, uh, you know, financially for your family. Um, um, uh, and then, you know, also to, to, you know, to potentially win trophies and, and further yourself. So, you know, I think we, we were missing, like, again, you know, you, you're two great people. I've, I've had, uh, you know, we, we had obviously some great, great years, but that's just football. We, we, we've all lost players and game players has <laughs> uh, been a beneficiary and, and on the end of it. So yeah, Bridget, it's uh, sadly, we, we, we missed you for five minutes and, and that was it. <laughs> but at least I heard you say you cared there. So that, that's what it I'm surprised it was five minutes. Seriously. Um, I, I, I remember often saying to teammates, um, particularly ones that I was sort of like, 
kind of friendlier to or have a better relationship to, I, I would always ask them, say, so what's the story? Have you got a chance to go? And they go, well, maybe and I go, listen, if I were you, I, I said, I would say stuff like, I don't want you to go personally, if I want to be selfish. And I remember Breda Hangenland, there was a lot of speculation about him possibly going to Arsenal. And I remember saying to him, Breda, what's happening? What, what are you doing? And, he, and I said, you know, ask if it is it true Arsenal's interested. And he goes, listen, as far as I know, I don't know, I've not heard anything. And, it, and I said, because I said, great. I said, it's great that you're not going because I don't really want you to go. But however, if it's true, might you be mad not to go? Yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's the ad because you're seeing, you can see the the bigger picture for somebody's career, and I think that's why the Tottenham fans, sorry, the Tottenham players will be accepting it a lot more than the Tottenham fans will be because we're we're losing our talisman. Yeah, interesting stuff. And I guess the Villa teammates would have thought the same against Grealish, perhaps that as much as they would have, would have wanted to hang on to him, this was his you know dream to play in the Champions League and play at that top level and be coached by Guardiola. I imagine it would be a similar thing. And we almost saw it with the club the way they they released it with their statement. That's kind of like the sentiment that they had that they had there with uh, with Jack Grealish. I mean, from a Villa point of view, Tommy, is that, is that how you think that would have gone down? And um, and while we're on him, what did you make of him in, in the opening game? You know, again, it's it, it's back to it. I think you know that that's the position that all players want to be in. Like you, you, you want to be uh, hunted by by the biggest clubs, and and again, um, you know, play at the biggest stage. And and you know, I don't think anyone begrudge him. Now he he's been a Villa boy. Uh, sorry, yeah, Aston Villa boy, and 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 has done his his hard yards there. Um, uh, you know, again, go, going on to 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 his first game. You know, I I, I think you saw glimpses, but you also saw. You know, he he worked pretty well with Sterling, I thought, down the left side. Um, but again, there's also room for improvement. I think, you know, I still uh, I still want to see how they're gonna get the best out of him. How Guardiola is gonna <laughs> gonna elevate his game uh, to to the next to the next level. Um, I, 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 you know, it was a bit up and down. I thought. If I was Dean Smith and I was the owner of Aston Villa, Tommy, I would have been driving Grealish there myself. Uh, for a hundred million, because I don't know how long these transfers can continue at this kind of price tag, and I just think it was incredible business. He's do, he's done his time. Yeah, of he signed that yeah. long contract. I think it was smart of Villa to tie him back down to a long contract to get the extra sums on top and figures. Uh, and you know, when somebody, I think they were, I honestly thought Villa when they said that price were thinking this will just get rid of Manchester City. And they came back and delivered the price tag, and it was kind of like, "Whoa, here we go! Let let's just get this deal done." So um, I, I thought it was it was handled very very well, and I I thought he was I, th- I thought he had a decent game, but not spectacular. But again, I'll never judge somebody in the first game. Yeah. Now some of those touches worth the price price of admission alone, and it'll be interesting to see how he integrates into that team going forward, and who drops out, and if any if those players that do drop out end up staying at the club uh, by the end of the window in a couple of weeks' time. A funny one to end off with, guys, um, and we're going way off way off off, off track here of what we've been talking about, but um, uh, talking about transfers, uh, Diego Costa is he a former teammate of yours, Bridget uh, Schwartzy? You were there with Costa, weren't you? I was. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Atletico Mineiro in Brazil at 32 years of age from Chelsea to Atletico Madrid to Atletico Mineiro. What do you make of that one at 32 years of age? Well, he likes the uh, Atletico name, doesn't he? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit surprised, actually. I'm a bit surprised that nobody really was prepared. Maybe they were, and maybe he, he didn't get the money he wanted or in the end, 
where he went, he's probably like happy enough to go back to Brazil. I mean, I know he played for Spain and everything else, but you know, he, he, he is from Brazil. Um, I'm a bit surprised, but again, when you look at his injury record, um, when he was at back at Atletico Madrid, it wasn't great. So maybe that also played its part. Um, and, and Diego is a, listen, he's great to have around the group. If he's on side, if everything's going all right, he's great to have around. If he's, he's, uh, not happy about something, then he can be a bit of a nightmare. Um, so there is extra baggage for people. Sorry? It can become toxic in an environment where he can... Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, he can be. And I think I think, I think, think uh, that all po- possibly was taken into consideration as well. Maybe maybe he didn't want to be a bit part player somewhere. I, we really don't know. But I am surprised that there certainly publicly there weren't a lot of stories about him potentially going to various clubs. I'm, su- I'm also surprised there weren't any other Premier League clubs that were, would have showed interest in him. Yeah, because he was a free agent. Um, to, can you tell us how damn good he was when he was at his best? Like, from outside, he was a Look, he was brilliant to support with when he was when he was at his very best in in the championship winning season. Um, I was shocked how quickly he dropped off when Conte wanted to get rid of him as as well. He looked like one of those outside in amazing characters. But what does that translate to as a, as a teammate? No, he was brilliant. He was he was great fun to be around. He he, he um, was a real joker. Um, he 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 gave it as much as he, he received it. He um worked hard he was a pest he was a proper pest on the pitch he loved he loved the physical confrontation he liked to wind up the uh, the opponent he liked to try and get in the head he loved the physical uh, the physical battle with teams uh, with, with his teammates sorry with the opponents um and i think at chelsea uh it was about timing i think he just incredibly enjoyed the moment when he was under under jose particularly the first season and then, obviously, once once uh, the change was made and once Conte came in, I think his head had already been turned. The possibility of going back to Madrid was there. He won the title, went right. You know what? This is a, an opportunity. It's too good to turn down. I want to go back to Madrid, and he did whatever he had to do to get out. Uh, there, there wasn't. That's what I say to you. You know, he, he's a player, the personality that. Once he's made his mind up about something, there's no turning it around, and and he would do whatever he has to do to make it happen. And in the end, that's what happened. Sporty would have had a lot of training sessions with him because what you normally found the first team strikers to do is they'd always get the second choice and third choice goalkeepers to do extra training with them after training. So um, they probably had a really good bond, these two. Yeah, I mean, Bridgie, the, the interesting thing about that is um, I'll tell you what it's like to be at a big club like that. You know, it's um, <laughs> it's great. You compete, you're playing European competitions. I'll send you, you the 99-2000 you know, season from Leeds. That's all good. Did you play much? <laughs> Moving on. Um, so, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> bitter, bitter end here. Uh, That's what it's I'm about. Gonna, I'm going to let clear. I'll let you guys sort it out for a minute. Come. Go on, Bridgie. Schwartzy, Bridgie's just, you've frozen him down there. You've frozen him in our Zoom. He's just looking at you with those big eyes and just saying nothing back. Yeah, he doesn't know what to say, mate. I mean, I mean, yeah, I did. I actually did work with him a lot, and he's right. When you are the second goalkeeper, third keeper, uh, you certainly for third keeper, you're you're cannon, you're cannon fodder. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. Um, but I did, I did, I actually played against him when he was at Atletico Madrid. So I came on uh, the Champions League semi final in Madrid, and uh, I got the better of him in that game. The return leg, he got the better of me. So you know, it was one one in that regard. And obviously, then I had him as a teammate. Um, and he, he would call me old man and I would call him ugly man. 
That <laughs> was all in Spanish, of course. Well, I'm now questioning myself, given I'm looking at myself through this Zoom and realizing that Diego Costa is younger than me. And I'm like, well, hang on, I'm, I've just... <laughs> You're you definitely better there's... looking than him, mate. Don't worry. You, you, you're way better looking than Diego Costa. Don't worry. <laughs> 32 years of age and uh, off to Brazil. But Jeezy was a lot of fun to support. Boys, this has been a lot of fun as ever. It's been great to chat with you and catch up with you and talk about all the different things in the football world as ever. And we could go forever, but we're going to call it a day there. Schwartzy, good night to you. Bridgie, Tommy, good day to you. Stay safe, stay well. And to all the listeners out there in Australia, of course, I mean, here we are again, but look, we just hope that football provides a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful distraction for everyone. It certainly is for us. Boys, it's been good fun. Schwarzy, great to see you again. Cheers, guys. I've enjoyed it. And uh, Bridgie, it's all right, mate. You'll, you'll be fine every week. There'll at least be one team of yours that will win a game. And if not, be careful that weekend when all three of your teams lose. That'd be brilliant. Bridget, will you come back for 37 more of these? Are you, are you all right with that? I'm all right, <laughs> as long as he is on time, because this is the second week in a row that we have started doing the gig and pod, and Mark Swartzer has been late. So Yeah, you're right. Like you're said, right. Absolutely. No excuse. But also, on top of that, you need to sort your internet out. Both of you, you and Thomas, need to sort yourself out. Lift your game. Because, listen, Dave Wynn is there in, in Australia, and he's got no problems with his internet. Obviously, yeah, well, you gets, too. He gets a little bit of extra 5G through them eyebrows of his, mate. They're, they're, they're way up there. They're they they can absorb nah, a lot of Optus favoritism, Bridgie. It's Optus favoritism. <laughs> Take care. Absolutely loved it. Thank you. Stay safe, everybody. And look forward to uh, chatting again next week. We'll do it as well. You, you take care too, Tommy, and, and everyone out there until the next episode. We've obviously got the weekend kicking off with Liverpool against Burnley. It's a bit earlier in the week here for this Gagan Pod, so we won't preview too many of the games uh, each week at this early stage. But Liverpool-Burnley kicks us off at 9.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on the weekend. Another packed weekend with Goal Rush as well. And the key game, the highlight game that we're building up to on the Optusport app, of course, is Arsenal against Chelsea at 1.30am on Monday morning Australian Eastern Standard Time. Absolutely massive. So... As ever, until the next episode of The Gang and Pod, enjoy your football. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.